0: Well, good morning, everyone. As we launch into this new series, uh, a booklet has been written that has the sermon outlines as well as some background information to the passages that we'll be looking at. If you don't have one and would like one, they're located in the home center. Any usher will be able to tell you where they're at and uh, they're there for your taking. Or if you'd like to do it online, you can get the uh, booklet in electronic form uh, at fbcva.life, so please help yourself to that. If you wonder if we are rapidly experiencing moral decay in our country, we are. If you wonder if there's a growing hatred for Christians in our country, there is. If you believe that many of our leaders are incompetent and not knowing the difference between right and wrong, that's true. And if you sense that there are international tensions rising, they are. And today I would say if you are asking, what does the future hold for your children, for your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, then it's time for us to take a look at what the greatest prophet in all of history has said. We know him as priest and king, but the Bible says he is also prophet. Deuteronomy prophesies this about his coming. He gives his greatest and longest discourse on what the future holds in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. He gives this discourse from the Mount of Olives which is located on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah the prophet hundreds of years earlier prophesied that the Messiah's return in victory and in conquering mode would land with his feet touching on the Mount of Olives itself. And therefore what an appropriate place for him to give this discourse on what the future holds as that very week he would be going into the city of Jerusalem and he would therefore die for our sins and be crucified and buried and rise again. This is the view of the city that he was looking upon in terms of its distance and its location. The time that he gave this very Olivet Discourse. Before I share with you in prayer, I would just like to highlight a few of introductory matters as it relates to this particular discourse that Jesus gave on the future. In the book of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25 will be our focus for the next six weeks. Matthew is one that is teaching his readers, who are Christians, that in light of Israel's rejection, the kingdom has not been canceled, but it has been postponed. And that's where the Olivet Discourse fits in. Jesus' teaching in this discourse actually serves as a bridge between the prophetic passages of the Old Testament and the prophetic passages of the New, particularly the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. We would not be able to reconcile those books in terms of the sequence of future events had it not been for the Olivet Discourse but it makes it much more clear. The events that we'll be studying today in which he introduces this discourse is a period of time of seven years made up of 360 days for each year according to the lunar calendar. It's divided into two equal parts of 1260 days each. It is known by a number of names in the Bible. It's known by the time of Jacob's trouble. It is also called the 70th week of Daniel. You and I probably know it best by the tribulation period. And that even is divided into the tribulation and the great tribulation. The main focus of this introductory part of the discourse is Jesus' second coming. But there are two Greek words in the original text that are translated in English as one word, and that's coming. But these two Greek words are distinct, and that's an important factor as we go farther into the discourse, and especially in next Sunday's message. But for now, the word that we want to focus on is the word parousia. Parousia, that will come up here, The word parousia is the Greek word meaning coming, but it has the idea not just of the actual coming, but all the events that lead to the coming. It involves the context, and in this case, seven years prior to his actual arrival on the Mount of Olives. It covers these seven years by calling them birth pangs, the abomination of desolation, and great birth pangs. These are the three elements of those seven years. Jesus uses terms in light of a woman who is about to give birth. And for those of you here that have done that and have given birth, you know that at the beginning there are labor pains, but then they increase with intensity and they increase with difficulty and they increase with pain. And so too, Jesus uses these terms because there's a new kingdom that's going to be birthed. Mark Carey has taken us through the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah has more prophecies about that kingdom than any other Old Testament book, telling us the nature of that kingdom, how things will operate, the peace, the beauty of that kingdom. And there's a birthing process that has to happen first, and it's a very difficult one. It's called the Great Tribulation, and 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, and it all culminates... In the coming of Jesus Christ and the birthing of the kingdom by which he will reign. This is the subject of the Olivet Discourse. The second portion of the discourse teaches us about what will happen to those of us living now who have put our faith in Christ. And then the third part of the discourse is a series of four parables, and we will look at them, Lord willing, one by one. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today and we ask that you would guide us and direct us, give us understanding, but most of all that you would increase our longing and our love for the return of your son and that it would provide stability in the days of turmoil that we experience now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. My wife, Patty, and I fly a number of times each year, primarily to Omaha, Nebraska, to see two of our four kids that live in that region of the country. Sometimes we fly internationally, but most of the time domestically. Neither one of us are afraid to fly, but I would say that out of both of us, she's the one that fears flying the least. You see, she grew up in South America. Her parents were missionaries. They lived in the jungle, and she spent more time in an airplane than she did on a land vehicle because they transported themselves on a single engine airplane around the jungles. She also flew back and forth over the Andes mountains in a twin engine prop plane. and When flying over those types of mountains, she experienced more than once, many times in fact, turbulence in the air. She's not afraid of turbulence. When we fly today and things get a little rocky up in the air, I look over at her and she is deeply involved in her novel. She doesn't flinch. In fact, I think it would necessitate the plane going into an actual nosedive before she might wonder might something be wrong. But that's not true with me. When things get bumpy up there, I start gripping the armrests. I'm uncomfortable. I no longer can read. I'm just waiting for things to level out more. I like smooth air. I asked three pilot friends of mine, all who attend FBC, who fly for major airlines, I said, how do you know if turbulence is ahead of you? How can you brace yourself for it or brace your passengers for it? And they began to communicate to me the communication systems that are in place, pilot to pilot. They have apps that they can read where turbulence has been reported and what altitude and so forth, and they do everything they can to help make as smooth a ride as possible, but turbulence is unavoidable totally. But if they can change the altitude or if they can divert, they do so if fuel capacities allow and air traffic control gives them permission. But turbulence is a part of flying. When we back out of the gate, it's not uncommon for the captain to get on the microphone and communicate to the passengers, we're going to have you keep your seatbelts fastened for at least the first half hour or hour in this trip. It's a little bumpy up there. So um, until those signs come off, we ask you to stay seated. When I hear that, I don't like that, but he seems to speak in a calm voice and the flight attendants don't show any concern, and so that eases me up a little more. We have a captain who's driving that plane and who knows about turbulence ahead. The Bible teaches us that we have another captain. The King James Version translates a verse in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. It's a great translation of that word. It means leader. He is the one that is taking us through a journey of life to an ultimate destination. He is the captain of our salvation. And in the Olivet Discourse, our captain is telling the world there is severe turbulence ahead. Not moderate turbulence. Not occasional turbulence but a very, very, very bumpy ride. That's what he tells us at the beginning of this discourse. Now the disciples ask two questions. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what Jesus does, he uses a literary device called the chiasm, and that's a, a, a literary device that's used throughout Scripture many times. And that is, With two questions, he answers the second one first and the first one second. And that's what he does here. And so today we will look at the events of the parousia that lead up to his actual second coming, and he summarizes these events. Now keep in mind before we look at this today that it is the book of Revelation that tells us the most detail about these seven years. Jesus doesn't go into the detail that the book of Revelation does, chapters 4 through 19. But he does give us an indication of how bumpy the ride is. And it starts out with lighter turbulence, but it increases with intensity as those seven years progress. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24, and we'll look at these events known as the tribulation. In verse four, in answering the question, Jesus says, and Jesus answered and said, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and will deceive many. The first characteristic of this period of time is great religious deception. People will be claiming to be, to be the Christ. They will claim to be the deliverer. Then there's going to be international tensions and conflict. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, or the Greek word is aden, which means birth pangs. Or labor pains. So you have natural catastrophes, international conflict, and religious deception. These are just the beginning of the birth pangs, but things get much worse. We go on and he says this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There's going to be persecution of believers, and yes, there will be people that come to know Jesus Christ as Savior during their seven years. There will be thousands upon thousands of Jewish people that will put their faith in Christ, and Jesus warns them, but you're gonna be hated by all the nations. They're gonna pursue you. Great persecution is going to happen. People are gonna betray each other. There's gonna be panic. And then more deception is gonna happen. More religious leaders are gonna rise. and, And then he says, and because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. In these two verses, verses 12 and 13, I personally believe that it is referring to believers. And we'll cover that in more depth in our message on the 10 virgins later on in this series. But what will happen to some Christians is that they will quit loving. They will kind of go into the world system, but other Christians are going to persevere and stay faithful in the faith. And they are the ones that will experience the deliverance or the salvation of the Messiah from the enemies that attack at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, will be preached into all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Christ will come. So in the midst of all this calamity, the gospel will still go out worldwide, and that's the positive feature. The Bible teaches us that there are two primary entities that do this, two witnesses that evangelize in Jerusalem and lead many Jewish people to Christ. This is all in the book of Revelation. And then 144,000 converts who become missionaries and go worldwide into the Gentile world and present Christ to them. These are the events of the tribulation. But then we get into the midpoint. And now, what is called the abomination of desolation. In verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, for whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of their house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Jesus is speaking about an event at the midpoint after three and a half years into this period. And that is where a man called the man of sin sets himself up to be worshipped by putting the image of him into the temple that's been rebuilt and demanding that the world come and worship his image. Caesar Augustus, by the way, had his image placed in more than one temple throughout Israel when he was in power. Those that refuse, those Christians, Jesus says, get out of Dodge. As fast as you can. When you see that happening, you need to move and you need to move quickly. Don't even take time to pack a bag. Don't try to make a quick sandwich. Flee and pray that it's not on the Sabbath and all oh, those who are pregnant. The Sabbath is going to slow people down. There's restrictions in Israel on the Sabbath. A pregnant woman is going to have a more difficult time traveling at a rapid speed. But when you see it happen, leave. Head to the mountains, which are actually downhill because it's towards the Dead Sea, the mountains of the Judean wilderness. Get out of there. It's the pinnacle of idolatry. Idolatry that took place throughout ancient history even on into the modern day will reach its high point, its pinnacle when the idolatry of the man of sin who is under the control of the dragon, the dragon being Satan himself. Now Jesus mentions the great birth pangs the intensity of the labor pains before the kingdom is birthed. Verse 21, for there will be great tribulation. This Greek word, phlipsis, means labor pains, but great labor pains, intense ones. In fact, Jesus uses this word in John 16, and it's translated as anguish. And now with the second three and a half years, things really heat up. And he says this, The world has never seen anything like it. There will be so much difficulty that it has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, nobody would survive it. No flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Revelation tells us exactly to the day how long this seven-year period will last. And therefore, believers are going to be able to go to the Scriptures, and they're going to know when it's going to end, which will be a great impetus and help to them to persevere. It's not an indefinite ending. Devastating and universal catastrophic events, and I would encourage you this week, read Revelation chapters 4 through 19, and you'll get them listed one by one almost unbelievable what the world will experience. It'll be a very, very, very bumpy ride. God sets limits on this period, but the false teaching continues. And he says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect... See that I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. When great difficulty happens nationally and internationally, people are more vulnerable to follow a false leader who promises them deliverance. If you don't believe me, read World History of the 1930s in Germany. We are all vulnerable, and these false Christs will come to offer help and to offer deliverance, and Jesus says, don't. Don't believe it. I'm coming. And I'm coming soon, and I will come so quickly. As lightning flashes across the sky, I will come. I will deliver you. And I will annihilate the nations that have come down from the Jezreel Valley to eliminate the Jewish people once and for all, and especially believers. And I will deliver you from that. And there will be so many corpses lying there, the birds will gather. Revelation 19 gives an invitation to the birds, come, and you can eat the flesh of captains and kings and military leaders. There'll be an abundance of food for you when the Son of Man comes on the Mount of Olives with his army and defeats the enemies. This is God's promise, and it will be swift. In looking at these words... What would that teach, and how would that help the saints or the Christians that live during this time? Well, as I've already stated, one great thing is that it would encourage them that there is a divinely set limit of time. They will know what is happening, and they know when it will end. And that is God's grace to them. And that's why He's outlined it in the Scriptures that they have a resource to go to, not to be surprised by anything, having been forewarned about these false teachers and forewarned about all the catastrophic events. They will be digging into God's Word, and it will be their lifeblood. How about Christians today? What's the benefit of learning about then? The benefit is this. If it appears to you that the world is unraveling, it's because it is. But it's not out of control. And there's a difference. It is unraveling, but it's not out of control because we have a king of kings who controls all and sits on his throne as we sang this morning and knows perfectly well about the turbulence ahead and he's the captain of our salvation you know there's nothing in the book of Revelation anymore to me that is unimaginable years ago decades ago when I read Revelation I'd wonder how does this 6-6 thing work and there'd be little cartoons of people with 6-6-6 on their forehead and they couldn't buy bread or anything unless they had that mark and thought, how does that work? But today, nobody questions that. Everybody understands the electronic world and implants and various things like that, and we don't know exactly how all this is going to take place, but none of it's unimaginable. None of it takes us by surprise anymore. It's easy to understand how this could happen in a very quick time. Well, you might say, Don, thanks for the inspiring message this morning. (laughs) But I have something to share with you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are on board a plane with a captain who has a different flight plan for us. And it's a flight plan that is very, very comforting. It's a flight plan that we're going to discuss next week. Something that we will experience that's different. But that does not mean that today we are without an element of turbulence. It's unavoidable. Bumpy skies are our experience to some degree for all of us as Christians. But even the bumpy skies have a purpose. Our captain is never caught off guard by CAT. And you might ask, what is CAT? Some of you here know what that is. You see, when I talked to my three pilot friends, they told me about the communication systems that they can be forewarned about where turbulence is at. But then they said, but there's also CAT. CAT stands for... Clear air turbulence. And that is the type of turbulence that even the pilots are surprised by. They don't expect it. The skies are clear. There's no sign of rough clouds or stormy weather. Everything seems smooth sailing and then pow, the plane hits clear air turbulence. Immediately, they put on the fasten seatbelt seat belt signs and ask everybody to be seated and tell the flight attendants that they need to have a seat and quit serving the beverages. They hit clear air turbulence. They didn't see it coming. But our captain never has clear air turbulence. He's never caught off guard. He always knows what's ahead. And he's leading us and assures us that he's always there and knows what's coming. June 28, 2018 is a day that Patty and I will never forget. The skies were smooth. The sailing was great. Three weeks earlier, we had just heard from our daughter that her six-week checkup was great, No signs of return of cancer that had come three years earlier. Started developing some back pain and thought, well, it must be structural, so went to a chiropractor, and the chiropractor really couldn't find anything wrong and got a little suspicious, and let's take some x-rays. And she called back and she said, "Uh, Dad, uh, x-rays are clear. Looks good, so, oh, that's another one. That's good, that's good. And then another two weeks later, Patty and I were at Mark and Lisa Carey's home, spending time with Betty while Mark and Lisa went on vacation, Betty is Lisa's mother, and the cell phone rang at 6 o'clock. It was our son-in-law, and he said, can I talk with both you and Mom? Could you put it on speaker? The first words we heard were Christy that said, God is... Always good. He is always good. And then began to explain that tumors were located on her lungs, over a hundred of them. One in a very bad spot on the liver, one on her sternum, one on her hip, and several up and down her spine. All of a sudden the air got bumpy, real bumpy. The smooth ride was interrupted and turbulence happened. And I bet that in this room today, there are many of you that are on a bumpy ride right now. It might pertain to your health, it might pertain to your job or your family but turbulence is unavoidable. But we have a captain. We have a captain who knows all about it ahead of time. And as Patty and I look back in hindsight, we can see ways now that even before that diagnosis came in, we could see ways God was preparing us for it. Three months ahead of time, there was one incident. And then another incident took place that. We look back and say, I see the captain. He was having us sit down to have our seat belts fastened. He was preparing us for a bumpy ride. He's doing that for you too. He's right there with you. He's not surprised. He saw it in advance. And he's going to use it for good. The captain puts limits on the duration and the severity of our turbulence. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that no temptation's overtaken us that is not uncommon to man, but God is faithful, and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with that temptation will provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. It's the captain's promise. He will give us what we need to make it through. We all like smooth air, (laughs) but turbulence is unavoidable. You see, in those seven years of turbulence, of severe turbulence, God is preparing the world for the kingdom to come. In our turbulence now, He is preparing rulers for the kingdom to come. And so he uses our trials and difficulties to hone us, to detach our affair or our affections for this world, to prepare us to co-reign with his son as reward that he gives to his own. He's carving out rulers. He's training them. And trials are the way in which we are honed. Our love affair for this world is detached. In the midst of our turbulence, as our daughter was in pain, even said goodbye to us on December 17 as she was taken to the hospital in extreme pain. And by the way, today she's doing well. Well, we are grateful but during those difficult days I had one of my friends call me now back up a little bit we're both college football fans it's just that we're not fans of the same team even more so we dislike each other's teams and so we watch and that game is probably the highlight of the year and he began to talk a little bit about football and upcoming game. And I just said to him, right now I don't give a spit about football. And he so graciously said, I can certainly understand. That's just a, a small little taste of what happens that when we go through difficult times, God has a way of adjusting what, our perspectives of what's important and what's not. He also creates in us a longing for his return. And that's how Apostle Paul died. He said, There is a crown of righteousness waiting for me because I love his appearing. And a crown waits for any Christian who loves his appearing. And trials are used to create that love. He's our captain. He's preparing rulers for the kingdom to come. But our captain also guarantees our safe arrival to a perfect destination. He guarantees it. As bumpy as the ride is, he promises that there's going to be a safe landing to a perfect destination. You never have to question if the plane is going to crash, because it won't. The ride may not be pleasant at all times. Part of it will be. And that part we must thank him, and that part we must enjoy. That part is his gift to us. But smooth sailing is not a part of the entire trip by any means. But we must never doubt that he won't bring us to a safe landing, because he will. Last week, Patty and I went to Iowa to see my mom, who has advanced Alzheimer's and is in the nursing home of the town that I was raised in. It's the same nursing home that my father died. Mom's mind is gone. This is the first time that she didn't know me. She knew my wife, (laughs) but she didn't know me. That tells you something. (laughs) I remember a couple of times that across the room she would just kind of be in a blank stare at me and I would wave and say, Hi, Mom, and no response. And that's the way it is now. But that's not the end of the story. Because there's going to be a day that I'm going to be able to say, hi, Mom, in the clouds, and there will be an embracing like never before. And that's true with you too. With the husband and the wife that you miss greatly. Children, parents who have died in Christ. This is not the end of the story. There's a beautiful, beautiful, safe landing that's in store persevere through this temporary turbulence in fact I've decided this morning that I'd like to read to you about that safe landing Jesus says this listen closely let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Eventually, he's going to take us into a beautiful new kingdom on this earth. And following a thousand years of that, he's going to bring us into a brand new earth, new skies, new heavens, and a new earth with brand new bodies. No more cancers. No more doctor's appointments. No more job losses. No more death. No more funerals. No more pain. And that's where everlasting life will just continue on. It wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody here today that you're not on that plane yet. And I would invite you that today that you take your free ticket and let him be your captain by putting your faith in him and him alone for eternal life. In that city of Jerusalem that we previously saw this morning, he died for our sins. He paid for our sins in full. And it's the only thing that satisfied a holy God was the sacrifice of his own perfect son. And he rose from the dead, and he gives eternal life to anybody who will just simply trust him for it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will beyond the route to a perfect destination. For those of you that want to read more about it, there's a little blue booklet. It's the Gospel of John. It's God's, it's God's book that he put in the Bible to communicate that message clearly. And we invite you to take one. They're on the Welcome Center in the back foyer. Please take one. Read it. In the back, it will give you a little bit of understanding what it means to believe in Christ and help you through that. And if you'd like to talk to somebody, we'll be up here in the front. I'd ask all pastors and elders that are available to come, others, ministry leaders, women ministry leaders, please come and communicate with people how they can have eternal life if they want to know today following the service. We have a wonderful destination that awaits And in the meantime, we have a faithful captain through our times of turbulence until he comes. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that we live in an uncertain world with a certain captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promises that we have and thank you for being so gracious to tell us about the future and for those of us who have put our faith in christ that we will be diligent to communicate to others the same truth and father we look forward to him coming in the clouds and as we look into that subject next week may our love for your appearing grow and may our affections for this world lessen